0: Welcome to ThorCast, Tampa's health and organized recreation podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, and today I'll be interviewing local author Aaron Buchanan, or will I, about about the premiere novel of his The Inkwell series, Mightiest of Swords, and his upcoming novel, Will of Shadows. The the sequel. The sequel.
1: Of the uh, Inkwell series.
0: So, um, Aaron... I'm going to call you James, because I've known you for a long time. Uh, That that is my given name, yeah. Well, Aaron's your given name, too, but it's your given name. Well, it's
1: my other given name, right.
0: (laughs) Um, So why don't you read us the back
1: of the book? Uh, Am I I reading The the Money of Swords Bag?
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about the first one. Okay. Uh, I'll have to come back and interview about the other one once it comes out. Words
1: are power. Grey Theroux is not the kind of mage you've read about in storybooks. She's a multilingual practitioner of the ancient art of logomancy, summoning magic from the written word. Reclusive on the worst days and socially inept on the best of them, Grey resides in modern-day Springfield, Massachusetts in relative peace with her best friend Joy and a magic-wielding former rock star from the hair-metal days gone by. Together, their friendship offers her company, and somewhat at least, help her to feel human. But events have occurred to shake Grey out of her Near idyllic life of academic pursuit And she has discovered an insidious Plot targeting the world's aging Population of gods Along with allies old and new Grey has drawn deeper into the effort To thwart that plan and in doing so Comes face to face with a past she barely knew And a future that inexplicably Brings her purpose
0: So The character in your book Is a logomancer What is that? Uh,
1: it, it was one of those ideas that occurred to me. Uh, and of course the ideas of magic and wizardry. I mean, I'm a big Harry Potter fan going, going way back in the day. I mean, hell, I even have a Harry Potter tattoo If that. <laughs> if, I, if I'm going to wave my, my nerd flag high enough, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's pretty high anyway. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, like in those books, she talks about like tessiomancy, like reading the tea leaves, and mm-hmm. some of the other ones. And I've also heard other, uh, that's another one that she talks about in Harry Potter. But it's, it's not, uh, just a J.K. Rowling thing where you have different types of magic and specialized names for each kind of magic. So I had this idea of like, okay, what if there were a kind of magic where uh, it was entirely based on the written word? And so, uh, having been a student of Greek, uh, the word for for word is logos, and so the word for word, yeah, the word word for word is Greek, and Greek is logos. So I'm like, all right, Logomancer, we're gonna make that a thing. And it's funny I, the, when I first thought of the idea, like I, I of course Googled it, see so if anybody else had thought of it, and somebody had, oh, but not exactly because it was like a Marvel character. From the Submariner comics from way back Which, in the day, yeah, who cares? And it, like, the, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, Submariner, who cares? <laughs> uh, but yeah, the character had nothing to do with what I was doing with it, so I'm, I'm saying that there's no way they could trademark a name like that. So Plus, them.
0: Plus, uh, as with Harry Potter, I mean, she used wands. People have used wands before. for it,
1: right, right. So. There's, there's nothing, uh, nothing
0: new under the sun. Right. So write it better. Exactly. In the last exactly. Right, <laughs> and uh, so does writing energize or exhaust you? Oh both.
1: And this is why. It's its own kind of catharsis to write. Mm-hmm. But in order to write, you have to be disciplined, and it takes time, and it hurts your brain sometimes, and you have to sit there and go through things and uh, plan out the story. I think when I'm writing these books, I that's my dog. Hi Spartacus. Hi buddy. He's coming to crash the party. <laughs> as long as he said crash uh, the equipment <laughs> at uh, man, man cave, Dave Buchanan anyway You're a British monkey yeah yeah forgot what I was talking about uh, we were talking about catharsis Oh catharsis
0: <laughs> uh, and no. you said something about discipline which is why Yo, you, you have which to is why you've almost finished. why you've almost finished two books while I'm still working on my first
1: hey you know <laughs> sometimes it just takes us a little longer okay especially me <laughs> some, some people are just late bloomers <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's both uh, a, a exhausting, but also an enriching experience. Uh, the, you feel like you've accomplished something, of course, and it's always nice. Like if you like, you exercise some demons hmm. when you write some of these things. And of course, you, you're writing something as well, and there are parts of your story that sort of. When I write, I was purposely trying to distance my my own ideas and autobiography from the main character. Uh, in fact, I think when I was writing, I think there's, there are parts of me in all the characters, not necessarily in just one. Um, but when you talk about some of these things, nah, that's the thing. I, tried to, I was trying to write something that was entertaining but also had big ideas and talked about big ideas. And so I think that's, that's where the catharsis came in. And uh, that's something I always wanted to do, so that's also why I found it enriching.
0: And do you find when you writing when you're writing, you think so hard? I actually feel my head by the time I'm done is hot.
1: Well, I think your your hard drive might be working a little too hard, Jeff. <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't feel like that. It's kind of weird. I, I do like you know. You've seen the movie Amadeus. Mm-hmm. Where Mozart would compose these things in his head, and only when he actually sat to write these things down, and those were original copies, which are, apparently is false. It's that, that's not a true story. There are drafts of Mozart works that he he wrote, but it's a cool idea. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of what I had I had written, I, and I do write. Of course, I'll go back.
0: We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. The forecast, the forecast is brought to you by focus fitness
2: focus fitness massage and focus mitt kickboxing 727-692-9105 focus fitness 727 focuses on you 692 de-stress 9105 with kickboxing for mental and physical fitness sometimes you just want to hit something when you work out with my husband you'll hit focus mitt pads Jev has leveled routines for beginners to experts. You'll learn effective defense and offense techniques while engaging in an energizing, fun workout. Call 727-692-9105. Focus Fitness 727 focuses on you. 692 de stress 9105 with an in-home massage for mental and physical fitness traffic is obnoxious. Do you really want to have another place you have to drive? Save yourself the stress. He'll drive to you. I can attest an in-home massage is best. Instead of red lights and errands to run after massage, get your massage, then budge on the couch. A Focus Fitness Medical Massage focuses on fixing the things that keep you from moving. 727. A Focus Fitness Sports Massage focuses on keeping athletes limber. 692. A Focus Fitness Stretching Massage allows you to stay in your sweats while Jeff focuses on getting your limbs back in action. 9105. A Focus Fitness Relaxation Massage focuses on easing away the stresses of the day. Call Focus Fitness, Massage, and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. Call 727-692-9105. Focus Fitness, Massage and Focus Mitt Kickboxing. Focus Fitness, focusing on your mental and physical fitness.
0: Focus Fitness. That's focus, the letter J, fitness.tumblr.com. And now back to our regular program.
1: So when I sit down to write it, I think... I, you know the dialogue the scenes haven't necessarily all been planned out in my head but I will say that I, I have a very good idea of what I'm gonna, I'm going to do for the day I've I've planned it out in my head uh, beforehand or you know the night before like I I would sit there at night and think okay this is what I'm going to do this is this is what I'm going to write the next day or when I'm driving home from work I would turn off the radio which you know me I love like you know, listening to music or yeah. NPR or whatever. Um, I would just turn it off and then, and in the silence of the, the ride home, I would compose these things in my head and then come home and write them.
0: <laughs> so, me, yeah, same thing. I'll just find myself just staring off into nothing for I'm not exactly sure how long. And then I come back to it. It's usually like I'm standing like in the kitchen in the corner, just like zoning out. <laughs> like you lost time. <clears throat> what authors did you dislike at first but grew into? Ooh,
1: you know what? When you, you you sent me a list of these questions, I'm like, oh, I know exactly who I'm going to talk about, but then I forgot.
0: <laughs> I gave you like Hillary. I gave you the questions.
1: I know, I know, you you did. Uh, <laughs> and I I didn't.
0: Uh, you stepping in front of the camera just oh, like just... there's a camera. <laughs> oh, that pink thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the pink thing <laughs> it
0: was James's wife. Hey I'm
1: sorry. She she's thirsty. I thought oh, it was just awful. You could say that again. <laughs> thirsty.
0: Okay. Can, can, can I like give you a kiss on the head?
2: <laughs> <go>.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah. I, I won't, but sure. <laughs> God damn it. Come back to this question. Can we edit that part <laughs> out? <laughs> I'm to okay. think about What that, authors like did it. you dislike at first but grew into?
1: I know the, I know the answer to this I just I'm, my brain's farting. Neil Gaiman? No, I've always loved <laughs> No, I've <laughs> actually always loved Neil Gaiman. I know, I know. <clears throat> um Tolkien? No, I've always loved I've always loved Tolkien as well. Um
0: J.K. Rowling? Hold on.
1: My bookshelves are behind us.
0: I'm going to cheat. Very unorthodox interview style. Oh, he's cheating, I will get a drink of water. <clears throat>
1: Out. I forgot. I want to think about it. You can edit that part
0: out, right? At uh, the moment, can't remember. Maybe by the end of just
1: yeah it'll, it'll, it'll probably pop in there eventually
0: <laughs> what was an early experience where you learned that language had power
1: okay um all right, so you, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of the music, and I think for me, I even equate a lot of writing music, or write, to writing fiction, or or anything else. Actually, yeah, you know, when you're in the creative process, I think largely it largely is comparative, um, but I would say that when you listen to these songs, the lyrics. I think that was even when it, at a young age. Uh, I think that was the first time I realized that the music's good, yeah. but the, it's the words with the music that make it mean something. Yeah. So I think that was probably historically the first time I saw that the the, the power of language, of course. But uh, we're talking about specific book uh, or just geez. comedian like no me,
0: George I, Carlin. Yeah, no,
1: no, I'll actually tell you a story about I when Fight Club the movie came out in 1999. I was in college, and a friend of mine in one of my classes, he's like, dude, you got to see this movie, but before you go see the movie, read the book. It's a quick read. It won't take you very long. So he kept saying he was going to bring me the book, but I ended up just buying it anyway. So I bought Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk uh, at the, near the local Barnes & Noble and started reading it. And it just blew my mind. So it's the only book I've ever read, where as soon as I finished the last page of the book, really. I flipped it to the front and just started reading again. That's cool. That's and I can only I can honestly say that book changed my life. So I should read it <laughs> if you if you haven't. Yeah, it's, I haven't yet. It's one of those things where it's definitely a zeitgeist. It's a appeal appeals to a certain person at a certain time and. I don't read a lot of Pol- Polonic anymore it's because I think I've outgrown him. If that's if that makes sense, uh, but a lot of what he was writing back then appealed to me. I was young, early twenties, and I had I had a, a shirt, certainly had a chip on my shoulder that I think he was giving voice to that. Not a lot of people realized that we were all sort of in the same boat. And uh, that was when I really felt you know, that there's, there's power in uh, the, the actual literature itself. I mean,
0: it's just that feeling of kind of adrifted, ad- being adrift and not really having a place in the world.
1: Yeah, that's, that's definitely part of it. And then knowing, of course, you're not alone, that not only are, did the author feel the same way. But all these other people who are reading the book, watching the movie. Because, you know, a, a week later, I saw the movie for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I saw like two more times in the theater. I am Ty-
0: Tyler Durkman. Indeed. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, very interesting movie. I, I, I will check out the book. It's a quick read. It's pretty it's, good. It's short? All right. Um, At least it seemed short. Maybe it's because it was so damn good. It's so damn good. <laughs> Even the second time around, it was so good. Uh, what's your favorite underappreciated author? Ooh. No novel. Sorry, underappreciated, underappreciated novel.
1: Underappreciated novel. Oh my God! Okay. Um, like I think you, you you just mentioned Neil Gaiman. Of course, like he's my favorite, mm. and I'm really ecstatic about American Gods becoming a show. Uh, awesome show, and I I would I actually would have said that book. Because as, like Fight Club was transformative for me, American Gods definitely was uh, transformative for me. But now I think it's getting, it's not underappreciated anymore. As of like a, a couple weeks that's, ago, that's true. Uh, it's it's getting critical accolades everywhere. Has it started? Yeah, it's it's two episodes in. Oh. so I can't give you that answer anymore because now finally, after all these years, that was getting it to do. And people are saying, you know, it's only two episodes in, so it's, it's, you haven't seen anything yet. (laughs) Um, Anyway, as far as another one goes, see, I read a lot of uh, popular authors. But I would say, I'd I'd probably have to choose something that's lesser known by a popular author. So I am going to say Chuck Palahniuk, because even though a lot of his stuff i think they've made lullaby they're making a lullaby to a movie chuck Palahniuk did a crowd sourcing through kickstarter or whatever
0: that's so cool and they're that making now.
1: that and I've, i think he's got big names attached to it like james franco or whatever um they did a movie out of choke and of course fight club but there's one book that i actually love most of all from him and it's called survivor and it's about a, a, a guy who uh grew up in a religious cult like a really bizarre religious cult Ooh. and sounds dark he like they send these people out on like a work release or something and yeah it's very dark but it's darkly comic uh, very sardonic and um having my own and you know
0: dark my sense own, of humor.
1: well i do have a dark sense of humor of course british sense of humor yes that's, that's my anglophilia <laughs> um yeah, uh, that Survivor Chuck Palahniuk's got some great lines in that in that book.
0: So another one that I will read now. Okay, <clears throat> as a writer. What do you choose? What would you choose as your mascot, avatar, or
1: spirit animal? I actually love this question. This is why. (laughs) Whenever I go on a road trip with somebody, I make more than a couple hours, like three, four hours plus. Mm -hmm. This is always a question I ask. Not necessarily as a writer, but I'm like, okay. Because I I love (laughs) Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy. I'm reading the first one right now. Love those stories. You recommended it. Uh, Yes. Um,. So, in those novels, the characters from the one world, uh, their souls exist outside of their bodies in the shape of animals. And they call them demons. And yeah, they call them demons, Is a Greek word for spirit. It's even oh, spelled. really? Yeah, it's even spelled like the Greek word. Well, that makes sense. D A E M O N. It's anglicized for that. All right, fine. I'm listening to it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Oh, oh, chater. <laughs> All right, so no, it's just the Greek word for spirit, which is... Oh, that's cool. And there's a lot of... He, he does a lot of play off the, the Greek language in that one, sort of like Rowling does the play off the Latin in her, her series. He does the play off the Greek in, in uh, His Dark Materials. Um, anyway, the uh, story has these people... Your, like. Up until you hit puberty, you are all your 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 demon is shape shifting. It doesn't know what it's going to be. Yeah. But also because it's Britain, you have these very stratified classes. Like servants always have dog. You have their demons always turn into yeah. dogs. Yeah. And then if you're uh, educated, it was something even more interesting. Uh, but I would say like I've I've always known this like. I've always known the answer from the first time I read that series that mine would be a raven. And I'm that's not... Pretty, that's pretty I'm, cool. Yeah, well, I'm like I'm not like a big Edgar Allan Poe fan. Like, he's alright or whatever. But uh, I, I think ravens historically have been misunderstood. They're brilliant animals. Oh, yeah. Uh, Very smart. Corvids. I mean, Corvids in general. Yeah, yeah. Some of the yeah. smartest birds. And so... You know, I was just reading an article about ravens the other day. I'm like, they'll they'll play dead and in, in, like next to a carcass, just so that other ravens won't like they'll think that they he got poisoned. That so, is like, awesome. Yeah, so like that's like that's fucking brilliant. i love, I love those things.
0: I think uh, that we need to do that on another podcast. What cool? Oh, about ravens. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean,
1: I, I that even is watched. So cool. I even watched a video of a raven solving like six complex puzzles to get a piece I of food. I think I've seen that one on, yeah, yeah, it's a YouTube cool. thing. That's cool. So, but even before I'd even known all of that stuff, I'm like, oh, dude, I'm so, so Raven, which I think is the, uh. I'm so Raven. The master. <laughs> I'm so, that, that's a so Raven, right? Oh I, surely, oh, I never never watched that show. I'm you have. <laughs> no, um, I never have I just No, like, isn't the math you're at the beginning of the book, right?
0: Um. I
1: she's with the gyps gypsons. Oh, so you're past that part. Well, I think the master of uh, Oxford, his demon was a raven. Or was it an owl? I don't. I could have sworn it was a raven, but it always made sense to me as as a raven. Anyway,
0: that's that's my piece. Okay. okay. I think mine would be a probably a wolf or a bull mastiff. Bull mastiff. Is, does that mean you're a servant? No. <laughs> Okay, okay. (laughs) They were lovable dogs that could also knock people on their ass and hold them there. Indeed. (laughs) Okay. What does literary success look like to you?
1: Ooh, this is kind of a sore subject in in some places. Uh Uh No, I actually had a conversation with somebody this morning about it. Um, How fortuitous. Okay. So... uh, I'm, I'm reading these books right now, all right, and <laughs> mainly one, but I kind of dabbled in this other one, and I, I have a friend of mine who teaches English uh, up in Tennessee, and, I, and I, I saw this book originally on like a BuzzFeed must-read list, and it's a book of essays, which I don't typically read anyway, but why not, right, um, and man, it, it's f- terrible. It's it's dishonest. It's
0: it's. I think I know which book you're talking pro- about. Probably.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's not. It's not written with any genuine uh, sensibilities. It, it all just. It's sad. It, it all just reads as something somebody writes to impress another piece, and it's not poorly written by any means. But it, it's the parts that are supposed to be heartfelt are come across as uninspiring uh, definitely uninspiring <laughs> they yeah uninspiring and then these these other little essays they're uh, they're inane they're boring and it, it, it's it reads exactly like you would think somebody narrating uh, an afternoon of Sunday golf that I know shriek my right? dad would love it <laughs> it's, it's not compelling reading uh, by any stretch but it's golf. Oh, but no, like I actually went on and like read some of these reviews, and like it had astonishing by Rolling Stone. At least that's the blurb that was on Amazon really? about it. Yeah, but it's not astonishing; it's astonishingly bad.
0: Inane. name, a babble as Gandalf would say. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: that's what it was. So anyway, uh, so if if that's if that's literally you know if that's literary success is to have Rolling Stone say you're astonishing. And to have, um, Buzzfeed put you on a, a book a list of books for must reads, then uh, you know I don't want anything to do with that. On the other hand, I think people who I mean, George R. R. Martin ha- has it down because people hang on every word that dude says. Yes, pretty that much at a, all that times. That is a book that uh, will- almost to like a religious. Looks
0: like that will live for centuries.
1: Yeah. And I think that's what it is. If if you've left, if you've written something that you know will endure, like that, that success.
0: Yeah, Tolkien. The rest of it. I mean, in a couple hundred years, they'll still be reading uh, Tolkien. They'll still be reading Rowling. They'll still be reading Martin. Yeah, I think so. We can do it. Maybe, (laughs) maybe. Um. So, did you answer? What does it look like to you, though? I just said like, to, to be like to, to have something that endures. That's that's exactly what I hope for both of us. Okay. <laughs> uh, what kind of research do you do, and how long do you spend researching before you begin a book? We kind of touched on this a little bit.
1: Um, there are certain things that I had to research for the inkwell so far. Um, I mean. I'm a fairly educated dude, so a lot of the stuff that I write about I do know about. Uh, however, what I'm writing currently, it's not part of the Inkwell trilogy, I do have to research considerably, Ooh. because it's it's sort of out of my, my realm of expertise. Uh, it's, it's meant to be a sort of science fiction book. Sweet. Much more grounded and uh, Earth-based. However, my my protagonist is an astronomer by trade, and although I'm very interested in astronomy, I I don't know as much about it.
0: Is that why are you asking me about the galaxy I'm making?
1: No, no, okay, no, not not that kind of story. Ah, okay. I think I asked you about that for some other reason, but no, I don't remember. Wow,
0: gotta write things down. Yeah, that's what I find. I have a memory, so I mean, I have a terrible memory. I'll bleep that out. You won't remember, <laughs> probably. <laughs> um, what did you edit? What did you edit out of Mightiest of Swords? That was an interesting idea, but just didn't quite fit. Um.
1: Oh jeez. I don't think I there was any. As far as scenes go, there the scenes are all pretty much the same. But I definitely did change some characters around. Um, like there's a part that. I don't know why this is sticking out, but uh, the, in the early draft of the book, I had uh, the god, the goddess Iris, showing up at the <clears throat> scene of a crime, and that just didn't work at all. So uh, I believe I changed it to Mercury instead. But there are little things like that, and also I definitely ended up changing. Uh, who the end an- the the major antagonist is for the the entire trilogy? Cool. So I had written it as one way and thought better of it a few months later. Actually, it was about six months later. I said, you know what, that might work, but this works better. And so far, so good. I'm good because this person is still around for the uh, the third book, and that's when he's going to start. Sh- Playing a more
0: prominent role as an antagonist. And probably meet his maker. Maybe. Maybe. Or not. Or not. <laughs> the bad guy wins. Oh, no! That's the best ones, man. Come on. <laughs> Have you read anything that made you think differently about fiction? <laughs> um. Well,
1: that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Uh, I think, well, I, I told you the story about the the Fight Club thing, mm-hmm. um, and of course, reading Neil Gaiman for the first time. Also, was recommended from a friend from college back in the day. Um, and I, I guess discovering Gaiman for me was probably the clo- like that's probably the best answer I'm, I'm going to give you because um, I've always wanted to write. I never knew, like, oh, should I stick with one genre over another? And I I don't think I ever could, and I think that's the Neil Gaiman is, that you can't just stick him in a a genre. Like, you go to the bookstore, you'll find him on the sci-fi fantasy rack. And yeah, of course, there were fantastic elements to his writing, but everything he writes feels like it could take place in the world that we live in, which is the difference between... You know, I've read a lot of science fiction and fantasy, but that's the difference between Neil Gaiman and everybody else. It feels like if even, you went outside right now, that's what could happen. Even and that's
0: other urban fiction writers? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool.
1: Um, yeah, like, if you talk about urban fantasy, um, I, I do not feel the same way if I read a Jim Butcher book or a Kevin Hearn book. As much as I like those stories, the Neil Gaiman stuff seems it seems like it could take place in the real world interesting uh the the characters to me seem more genuine uh Gaiman's last book was
0: Oberon isn't genuine
1: i love <laughs> Oberon. i do but he he wrote this uh it was weird how much critical acclaim he received i mean it was all over the the house, called the house at the end of the uh, the house at the end of the lane and uh as a road, I can't even remember now, sadly. Uh, but it was just about a guy going to where he grew up, and something fantastic happening. And I mean, I mean that in the true sense of the word, fantastic. And it, it just seemed like supernatural. A normal dude, he was remembering what it was like to go home, and then he goes, and he starts remembering even more things, and yeah, you know, that's when the weird stuff starts to starts to go down. And he meets somebody from his past that he thought he forgot about, or he thought he was imagining from back then. Ooh, that um, so, but, but that's but when you think of childhood, that was childhood. You think like, oh, was that magic when I was a kid? Like, did I mean? I re- remember when we discovered Lockman's Lodge in the woods yeah, behind your yeah. house? Like that to me is one of those magical memories where I look back. I'm like, man, that place was like a. F- Fortress in the middle of murkwood Forest or built, something built by Mother Earth. Built my yeah, built my Mother Earth. Uh, and it, like we, you look back and now it's like, oh, it's just a tree it fell down and got, got overgrown. And and another and tree fell on another it. Another tree, and <laughs> it was all covered and uh, perfect. But like, wouldn't it be cool if you just went back there and like holy, shit, it's like the entrance to a fairy world <laughs> or something. That would be cool. See, like that's the way. As as the, the game nice. it comes across to me.
0: Say what? As long as the fairies were nice.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: that too. (laughs) All right. So. All right. What are the ethics of writing about historical figures? Ooh. See. Because you do have some historical figures in your books. I do. Uh, And
1: and the sequel that's getting released this week, Will of Shadows, there is – there are actually – four five let me see
0: it's um five characters shakespeare shakespeare of course sir francis bacon
1: sir francis bacon elizabeth the first john d john d yes and
0: uh who is reported that maybe john is it john Dee that may have written some of shakespeare's that plays is that one of the Well, they say that bacon may have oh bacon that's kind yeah. of a kind of a, a conspiracy theory
1: No, there there're lots of little conspiracy theories and that's actually part of what what inspired that part of the story is look, looking into. I was researching that one actually. Cool. Um, you know, obviously, I'm a history guy, but uh, going back and looking, how much doubt there was about who wrote what and what who contributed to this. And uh, is it still going? By the way, she hasn't checked in a while. We still good? Hasn't stopped. Nice. Sweet. Okay. Sorry. Um, <laughs> It's okay, as far as the ethics go, I think I, you know, that's if I were to write about someone more recent, which I do have an idea for a, a book series about a more, I guess, somebody who's died in the last hundred years, I think I probably would because you know that, that the family's probably still around. It's
0: Ronald Reagan, isn't but it? But it's Ronald Reagan, no,
1: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not gonna say who because it's a damn good idea and I'm gonna get to it eventually. It's like it's mine. It's mine. Anyway, um My precious. Pretty much. <laughs> but he, Shakespeare doesn't have any like living direct descendants. Like everybody in his like, all of his children ended up like dying off. Like he had a daughter that lived uh older age, but I think she was wasn't married. Uh John Dee I mean Elizabeth the First, Virgin Queen of course. Which
0: I say I think it's this way. Like, John Dee most people are never gonna never gonna have heard of. So they probably never heard of him, unless you watch Knights of Badass. Him, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But uh, you bring out these historical figures and you give a little little truth, and then you twist it to your own, you know, your own designs. Yeah. But you can get people to know about these people, and they might look up who they really are and what they really did, and so. Yeah. In, other, in other ways, you're encouraging you're the interest. You're encouraging those who are interested about history to follow up to right. follow up or at least find out. Click the the on the
1: Wikipedia
0: article. Yeah, and hopefully that it's true. Not you know too many trolls.
1: Yeah, I mean like you said, like <laughs> I, I was always curious about the life of Mozart, and yeah, I, I
0: think I read a lot of Besides, Wikipedia articles about that. And if you write something a little that's that's not quite true about certain people, like you're writing that they they know magic. Well, magic doesn't exist So, creative license Indeed, <laughs> you know? a lot of creative license and, and some of these ones that are supposed to be true Like like a lot of the Roman movies About Roman figures You have issues with Because they're not very yeah. accurate at all Yeah But people yeah. like them <laughs> There's lots of killing So you're in good company Yeah, I mean, yeah. No, I'm not, yeah I understand what you're saying <laughs> with that. Uh, how do you, how do you select names for your characters?
1: You know, I actually thought that was a pretty interesting question. Um, some of the names are deliberate. Uh, obviously I, I named my, my main character in equal deliberately. As you find out that her first name has a purpose or last name has a purpose. Uh, I even explain some of the characters' names and how they come by them and why they are the way they are. But as far as random characters go, uh, or even like some of my antagonists, uh, they – in the Inkwell, I was, I was very particular. I wanted to choose names of historically scientific people. So oh, I th- like cool. I think one of the names was Dalton, who was one of the people on the uh, the human genome products, As far as the last oh, name goes, cool. and I think well, no, I think the, the main bad guy in well one of the main guys in Inkwell Part One is his last name is von Ronk, and he's named for the the fi- the founder of uh, historiography. If you know what that is? Well, when story, yeah, the, the, study the Germans of back history? In, yeah, yes, yeah, the study the study of history uh, back in the 19th century in Germany, they were going some sort of there was like an academic renaissance, not just in history, but a number of, of the uh, social disciplines. I mm. mean, that's even when you're getting psychology, yeah, and a lot of the sciences are coming out as me as far as publication
0: and it was a the Germans philosophy movement then too, right?
1: Yeah, and this this movement was led by. a... a a, a German guy named Van ronck and he was trying to read uh, I was really fascinated by the idea it's like he wasn't trying to change history for himself but he was trying to change history which is sort of central to the theme of what's going on so what would that what's be going more, I think, well.
0: histrionics is that when it's kind of messing with history a little bit um or is no. that not the right term that's not it uh what's it called I don't know what you're talking about when people kind of rewrite history talking like about revisionism? Revisionism.
1: Thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you. Which I don't really think is a real thing, uh, but whatever.
0: <laughs> um, Just perspectives, man. <laughs> Do you hide any secrets in your books that only a few people will find? Yes.
1: Cool. I, I definitely have secrets in there. Cool. I, I, I can't say that, I like, J.K. Rowling level cleverness, but there's stuff in there that I'm... I'm hoping somebody will find one day. And mm-hmm. in 20 years. I hope, like when book two comes out, then maybe, maybe more. 20 years you'll make it appendices.
0: Maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> um, what was your hardest scene to write? Ooh. My hardest scene to write. Ah. <sighs>
1: I think the climax of the first novel Was probably my hardest scene to write Uh, For obviously For anybody who's not listening I'm not going to go into too many details about it Because I don't want to play spoilers with it But You don't know exactly how that's going to come off To some people And how events unfold And the kind of magic's being used And um,
2: He was snoring snoring. Come on man
1: (laughs) What, right, right. Roll over. <laughs>
0: look, up, look at my <laughs> shit, look at my bleeps. Oh, I'll just cut that part out. Uh, <laughs> trying to be a little more respectful. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. So,
1: I'm I'm probably the most self conscious about that part, and it was the most difficult to write for me. And of course, what what came after, of course, was as well because. It was the ending of my very first novel, so I was like, does this work? Does this work? That would be difficult. Yeah. yeah. See, there's lots of second-guessing. I haven't gotten there yet. Lack lack of faith and,
0: therefore, lack of dignity. uh uh-huh. <laughs> No dignity. <laughs> um, what one thing would you give up to become a better writer? Ooh, this is what...
1: <laughs> I did not watch television at all. That's cool. For the into like when I was writing, as I'm talking just first drafts. When I was writing both novels, I didn't watch t- TV at all. So that's cool. I would say if you're going to write, you probably need to turn down certain things in your life uh, and television is, or in movies or whatever Netflix. It we're we're sort of at a difficult time in history because we have some of the greatest television that's yeah. ever existed. Uh, but it also, you know, you're sacrificing 13 hours in front of Netflix and, uh, that's 13 hours with which you could have used to write
0: stuff. (laughs) True. True. So that, I would say that. That must be difficult because sometimes, you know, watching stuff is a bonding family moment. It
1: is. Well, I don't, I don't, I definitely don't want to watch the same stuff as my kids watch. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, I've had to. Like your, your uh, That's So Raven commentary. And <laughs> I think I, I I lucked out not ever having to watch that, but uh, I had to watch some show on the Disney Channel the other day, and I was like, oh, what is this?
0: <laughs> I mean, it came it's terrible. That. I'm a potato.
1: <laughs> sent Small potato? You. Okay, I do like those.
0: <laughs> i never heard them before.
1: Really? No. It was always, it was always like, it was Disney Junior? No. <laughs>
0: Small potatoes, small
1: potatoes. Uh, they always had British accents. Yeah, yes, know. that was re- redeeming quality
0: for me. He's a good one. What is your favorite childhood book?
1: Hands down, The Hobbit, dude. The Hobbit made my life. How old were you? Okay. The first time I ever heard, saw it, and did anything with The Hobbit was actually the cartoon came on oh, Channel Seventeen yes, yes. back in the day. Yes. That was even before it was Fox, mind you. It didn't go to Fox until later, I don't think. Anyway, um, I remember seeing it on there. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Yes. Um, and, the of course, they, they played the
0: Hobbit. adventure oh, is dear. what lies ahead.
1: I'm embarrassed for you. <laughs> um, of course, they played the Hobbit, and then they played the, uh, the same Rink and Bass uh, cartoon, um, oh, Return of the King. And they, Oh, yeah. They used yeah. to play them
0: back-to-back. Of Where are there? No He's rings. Rip- there's a way where there's a, way. <laughs> <laughs> which I was sad to find out. I don't think that one's in the book. It is. It is. Yeah. So I need to read. I, I remember those reading again.
1: it and just going. <laughs> I need to read those again. I even had to add, add the uh,
0: the sounds right, when I read <laughs> yeah, it. Of course you have to.
1: And fit Fifteen birds and five for trees. Yes, I love that one. Yeah, of course. I mean, that was classic. Classic. I stuff.
0: would try to sing, but I'm only a baritone, so. You go down, like down, down to Goblin, down, down, down to Goblin. Oh crap! I lost, it. <laughs> yeah, lots of good songs in the for, kids, especially for young, so, young guys. <laughs> even
1: before I read the book, it was a few years after before I actually because I probably saw those when I was five,
0: six years old. Yeah, I, I remember really, being on the farm. I was the first really time I saw little yeah.
1: when I saw those, and I remember like that's the thing. We you know we grew up in the middle of nowhere. So I was I grew up right across the street from a forest at a like a cornfield over in the back and then uh to the side of my house we didn't have neighbors really but we had like a pond and there was like a, some more trees in the back so I remember just getting lost in the forest with my dog uh much in the more forest Mirkwood. much Murkwood. more useful dog than that thing <laughs> yeah. This was in the forest of Merkwood Yeah it was my own little Merkwood <laughs> I remember Yeah, you know, I used to I had this Dracula cape and I would put it on my I'd put on my cape and I would be Frodo. I remember like getting this like uh, I have no idea this day I have no idea what it was but this, like a little plastic thing that looked like a ring that, and that would be my ring of power. And I shit you not. I actually I did this. I cut out construction paper, brown construction paper, put yarn on it and tied it to my
0: feet so I would have furry feet. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's awesome. True story. What about Sting?
1: Uh, I, yeah, of course. I, I I remember my mom buying me like a little uh, toy sword, like a silver
0: toy sword, and that was my Sting. Yeah, my my, my dad was in drafting and uh, design, and so I had he had like this big. Uh, uh, you probably remember that his big ruler, no, I don't big really. gigantic ruler, uh, and I was either Perseus or it was Sting, you know. And, uh, yeah, I, I, the next time I went to use it, it was like, because there are all these chunks taken out of it. Oh. I got a little bit of trouble. Man, maybe, <laughs> maybe just a little. So, yeah, The Hobbit, man,
1: that was my childhood, The I, Hobbit. I did it. My mom read it to me before I could, before I could read good. I think uh, the first time I read it was in fifth grade, so it wasn't that much longer.
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, tell me. A little bit about your upcoming novel, "Will of Shadows." Um, how'd you well, come up with the name?
1: <sighs> this is the part where, like, you helped me come up with it because <laughs> I, I, I had I had a different title, and you helped me pick, the, pick this different one because I wanted to. Well, Mightiest of Swords, you know, kind of has a double meaning, mm-hmm. an mm-hmm. obvious double meaning. And uh, but the second book, I wanted to have a double meaning as well, and. Uh, I told you that. Yeah. He's ridiculous. Anyway, so I wanted to have a, a, a double meeting, and uh, you you helped me come up with the name. What was the original name? Credit was, credit, credit was due. What was the original name? Oh, it, it was... I'm trying uh, to remember.
0: Darkest of Wills. Darkest of Wills, that's right. But uh, I also, uh, I thought it would be better if it was... Because of... Am I not supposed to say that? No, you are not supposed to say that. <sighs> I thought it was interesting, you know, because. Hmm. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, um, acting like you've read the book. <laughs> I have read the book. Okay. Um. So, I helped you come up with the with the name, and I was happy to do so. Anywhere I can help, you can always um, always count on me. Right. Bounce ideas.
1: Um. But no, there's there's. Uh, I guess I could talk about this the idea of the shadows of darkness. Uh, there's literal shadows and darkness in the book and there's the figurative uh, with the antagonists from the first book sort of reshaping themselves and becoming something new. Well, they were and working working yeah working very much in the shadows uh, to perpetrate more
0: atrocities.
1: That's it. That's all I got.
0: But, of course, they think they're doing the right thing.
1: Well, that's oh, that's the other thing. Of course they think they're doing the right thing. I think that that's what makes the best villains are the ones who exactly. not only think they're doing the right thing, but you have to question, uh, well, are they doing the right thing? Because um, what they're doing is actually
0: good for everybody, isn't it? So, yeah. Um, and now I'd like you to uh, pick three scenes to read from uh, from... Mightiest of swords to wet the shadow, the <laughs> to wet their wet readers' appetites. Ooh, three scenes. Um, yeah, and uh, I'll probably put up uh, while you're reading. I'll probably put up the um, the book cover so you can see that. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the first part
1: just because it's just written from uh, the antagonist's point of view, uh, and I have these these intermissions throughout. This book, um, in which the antagonist is basically blogging, I should say, one of the antagonists is blogging um, for his organization. Uh, So I'm going to read that because that does. And you don't actually have to read three, it was just a number that popped in my head. It was completely arbitrary. Exactly. (laughs) What we have learned since the first ape expressed belief gods were formed. At first, the gods were simple sun, moon, death. Many of these gods were horrific, a few were noble. More often than not, these gods were self-serving and did little to meddle in the affairs of humanity. From the first appearance of Homo sapiens some 200,000 years ago, the gods' affairs trumped those of mortals. Humanity suffered for it. Why else would it take us 200 millennia to write the first word? The first man who depicted the sounds with scratches or dashes was the first man to triumph over the gods. It was knowledge that could be given to his son, and his son's son, and his son's son's son, transmitted through the millennia. The gods grew kinder. Only sacrifice your infants. You're infirm, they said. They let men plant seeds and saw to it that the soil beneath them obeyed the men. They gently hinted at animal husbandry. We have our blood. You must have yours, they said. We give this to you. So mankind turned those words of knowledge into words of the gods, and their sacrifices grew greater as men used the words of the gods to war against each other, flooding the gods' bowels with the sacrificial blood of warriors as well as innocents. Though distracted by writing down the gods' words, the words themselves still held the power for men. The gods, were engor- the gods engorged themselves on blood and worship, growing complacent and entitled. Men, too, grew tired, but not complacent. They crafted words for themselves, and themselves alone, and these words became power. In due course, the words of many of the gods grew obsolete and impotent, faced against the words that men had crafted for themselves. Homo sapiens sapiens needed the gods less and less. Their words had forged power into knowledge, which itself was the greatest kind of power. Many gods died during the first words of men. Many more have since been slain by oblivion alone. We must, however, use more than our words, more than our knowledge, to murder the rest. In this lies the salvation of humanity. And whose viewpoint would that be from? Uh, Well, to say might spoil things, so I'm not going to. Okay, okay, okay. I I think it's adequate to say it's uh, a member of the antagonistic group. Yes. Okay, uh, I guess I'm just going to read something from chapter one. All righty. How far do you want me to go? It's up to you, man. Okay. So everything's up to you. Chapter one. Oh, actually, I I, I'm going to start with my quote. I have lots of quotes in these books. Um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was a God. That's John 1-1, New World Translation. Chapter one. I always use flowers to reset my mind. Daffodils and tiger lilies, memories of memories that lead me to calla lilies. My house is ancient by American standards. The vault beneath is ancient even by old world standards. The hinges on the vault were, themselves, incredibly thick, hinting at just how thick and impenetrable the vault actually was. When I was a kid, I used to imagine teams of ogres or giants wrestling with the vault door to steal the treasure inside, though back then I hardly thought of what the vault actually contained as treasure. I flashed an image of my father's, of my father across my mind's eye and let the intonation of nostalgia color the memory. It is Easter Sunday, and I am watching him read a book, Gulliver's Travels. The sound of something heavy in metal scraping along something else heavy in metal reverberated through the door, vibrating the basement floor. It is my first day of first grade. I am nervous and a little sick. I sit at my desk at the back of the class. I vomit on my dress and onto the floor. It's even in my hair. The puke is inexplicably made of pink and blue stars. I laugh. A second lock releases with a hiss of air and metal-on-metal grating even further into the vault door. I am swimming in the lake behind the vacation house. It was marshy and I fear what hides behind the reeds. I have never seen it, but I know I have smelled it many times. I am fifteen, fearless and invincible, so I dare to tread water, kicking tangles of seaweed at my feet. I feel a hand move up my leg. The clanking of the last lock gave gave, and made my feet shake more severely than the two times before. The door swung open fully, letting the electric light of my basement wash into the corridor. The light did not penetrate far enough. Those who know me, and I mean really know me, always ask me about what kind of pens I use. The invention of the ballpoint pen may very well have proven to to have saved my life no less than a dozen times. If Bick only knew, I would endorse them for free. i I also carry four or five big ball points in an inner pocket of my black leather scuba jacket. I carry two Sharpies, another endorsement ideal I'd readily make. A small spiral notepad, a three inch square post it notes. I love the neon ones best, but was currently down to the basic yellow ones. Pen in hand I wrote light looks lick. And a triangular pictogram put the post-it in the palm of my hand. My hand flickered on, more like a brilliant, more like a bright candle than a flashlight, and I shined it down the corridor into the hold of the vault. The corridor itself was actually larger than the hold itself, but I have never questioned its design, though I often asked my father where it came from. My father would never answer; would never gave me a straight answer, just from the old world, or some something even more smartassish. I stepped into the alcove at the end of the walkway and stared. Everything was gone. It had been nearly a year since the last time I had stored something here, and now it was gone. All gone. I came to the quill, but the space was devoid of even the clutter that seemed worthless. I took out my sharpie and began writing a a divining incantation directly on the wall. It said nothing of who had been there. I started with my usual languages and triangular pictograms, Latin, Greek, High German, and expanded it out with more complex pictograms, and included those three, plus Old Norse, Sanskrit, and Akkadian. Nothing. What I wrote was intense and potent, but yielded no answers. Logomancy is rooted in language, in the written word, with the words growing more powerful depending on the language, the pictogram, and the will of the caster. The dead languages, because their power is not diluted by the speaker's, offer the greatest chance at potency the more complex the pattern of the pictogram but the practice gets time consuming besides which the understanding and mastery of multiple languages languages is often a hindrance one of the mas- manuscripts i kept in the vault contains 17 words from the proto language only about half of them are useful so i have mostly forgotten the others but i kept the manuscript locked away in this vault Along with a great many more useful artifacts artifacts and manuscripts. A memory locked vault was supposed to be the safest place in the universe.
0: Yet I had been robbed. There you go. That's it seems and the, the proto language you're talking about is is that the the Proto Indo European?
1: Um well maybe. Is there a proto language? <laughs> yeah, they actually. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. Is there? Could there be? Could there be multiple languages that have originated with other species? I mean, as, as we're finding uh, other hu- human-like species, like Neanderthal, uh, the, yeah, like Neanderthal or Denisovans. Oh yeah, uh, are, uh, or even some of the even, other ones that they're they're discovering. Yeah, yeah lots of people haven't. Who's to say the they they the didn't come up with their yeah. own language as well? So yeah, I say I, I say proto language in this, but. I'm fully uh, cognizant of, of their theories out there. I'll just say something. Ata. Ata. Klatu Barata Nictu? <laughs> no. Uh,
0: they. In the Quest for Fire. I've never seen it. Really? No. Oh. It's, it's, it is, it's meant to be funny in some parts because it's so corny. Is that the one with. Raydon Chong? Oh man, no, I don't. Know. And the and the dude from uh, People Under the Stairs, <laughs> and and Dune was it?
1: C- oh, C. Everett McGill, yeah, 12, he's like the main that.
0: character. Yeah, cool. and also, uh, um, Does
1: that, I always get his name mixed up with the guy from the uh, George Clooney's character from Oh Brother Where Art Thou? <laughs> <laughs> Is that Everett McGill?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I'm pretty sure it's Everett McGill. All right, but anyways, they used uh, uh, Proto European. Uh, languages for the language that the whatever they were maybe they were Neanderthal mm. it was hard to it was hard to say exactly what they were maybe they were cro um but yeah they used uh, Proto, Proto-Indo-European Ata meant fire oh, okay and apparently it does mean fire if you go back far enough fire <laughs> which kind of sounds like hotter Ata <laughs> All right, water. so... Water. 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 All right, so basically, um, that's
1: it, dude. Thanks. Oh uh, Wait, am I going to read the the uh, oh, yeah, Will of the, Shadows back? Yeah, yeah, read the synopsis. Since Absolutely. Yeah, man, we're plugging Will of Shadows Inkwell Trilogy how Part long, 2.
0: How long do you think it'll be until it comes out? Part 3? No, Part 2. Oh, it comes out this week, man. Dropping this week. Get yeah. This, get the set. Dropping the bomb. What? And then finishing a couple of years yes Get the third.
1: yeah yeah <laughs> indeed okay uh so this is The Wheel of Shadows Inkwell Trilogy Part 2 uh Aaron Buchanan's the name yep yep uh the world is a very different place from what Grey through experienced five months after nearly meeting her end at the Well of Gods for one she has a good many more friends and allies than she would have dreamed including some of the gods themselves yet one ally was left behind one ally not ally one ally was left behind. In her search for the whereabouts of the Arithmancer Gavin Moniz, Grey finds herself under the pall of a conspiracy, hidden intentions, and mortal dangers. In her search for Gavin, she not only makes new friends, but the enemies of old renew their offensive, and one dangerous foe will lead her to her end or her destiny.
0: Dan, dan, dan! Uh, what kind of magic does Gavin do? Uh,
1: Arithmancer? He, he uses mathematics.
0: Yeah. Which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I don't identify with Gavin as much as I do with with Gray in that regard, being a a linguist.
0: Yeah, but math is a kind of language. It is. So, makes sense. Just not... One we're particularly good at. Yeah, well, there is that, right? (laughs) Probably a little better than I am, but... Uh, (laughs) It's been many years. All right, so that is... That is it for today. (laughs) Thanks. You're welcome. And you are welcome as well. Thank you. you. Hopefully this helps you out. We shall see. And that, as they say, Is is that. Please join me again next time.